Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 141, up for a new flying challenge, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, hello, folks. Uh, welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast. My name is Carl Valeri, and I'm joined by Rick Felty, Tom Frick, Russ Rosleski. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Hey, hi, Carl. Hey, Carl. Good to be here. It's uh, going to be a fun one. I was excited about this topic because it's it's something new, and it's a challenge, and we always like to challenge ourselves and our skills and get new ratings, etc. Let's do the pre-flight. Uh, but before we get started, a quick... Uh, you know, we have a sponsorship message, actually, real quick. Uh, actually, AviationCareersPodcast.com is the sponsor of Stuck Mike Avcast. We do career coaching, interview preparation, and, of course, have the largest online directory of scholarships, verified scholarships, that is. So go to AviationCareersPodcast.com to find out more. Well, now we have a few announcements. I uh, have a really uh, a cool announcement, and it's actually going to be the main topic for discussion. But before we do that, I want to remind people that this comes out on the 1st and uh, of April, and April 4th through the 9th is one of the things that we love to talk about on the podcast, and I know I hear from the listeners, is Sun and Fun is around the corner, and we are going to be live on the deck at Sun and Fun Radio with a bunch of co-hosts from both the Stuck Mike Avcast and Aviation Careers Podcast. Joining me on the deck will be uh, will be Russ. Russ, you'll be there, right? You and, bet. Oh, cool. And then Tom Frick will also be there, which will be exciting. And Indeed. Tom actually is one that helps set up prior to the show, so he knows a lot about the behind-the-scenes uh, that goes on. He usually gets out there a little bit earlier than most, so we really appreciate what he does. Remotely uh, is joining us. Well, actually, Rick will be joining us, and hopefully Victoria yep. and, and Larry. And uh, and actually, we're going to have as many of the podcasters on as we can uh, for the show, but uh, I'll definitely be there live. Uh, Aviation Careers Podcast, we're going to have... Um, let's see, Paul Greco is going to be on. Hopefully Tom Wachowski will be joining us. I know Eric, who's on both, Eric Crump is on both podcasts. He'll be there. So a large contingent of folks from uh, Stuck Mike and Aviation Careers podcast. As a matter of fact, the, the guy that's hosting it or, or the, the chairman of it is, is like, are you taking over my deck? I said, no, no, I'm just bringing volunteers. Uh, we do appreciate what everybody does there because you are volunteering for this. Uh, with that said, you know, one of the things that we're doing uh, an interview type of podcast, and we don't normally do picks of the week. So there's a couple things I want to talk about before we get started. And there's some links, some important links I want you to go towards. One of them is uh, actually for the Sun and Fun. There's a new website for the Fly-In, and it's www.flysnf.org. www.flysnf.org. A lot easier to remember than... Well, I won't say the other one. A lot easier to remember than the last podcast or the last... Uh, actual fly-in uh, website. The other thing is you can listen right now, right now, 
don't wait, no, don't go away. After you're done with the podcast, you can listen to Sun and Fun Radio live on liveatc.net slash SNF. That'll point you towards Lakeland's uh, uh, actual liveatc.net site, and it will have on there Sun and Fun Radio. Click on that, and you'll hear the interviews and also the air show from the previous years and all sorts of neat uh, announcements, uh, really interesting stuff from years past. So if you want to get excited about Sun and Fun, go out there to liveatc.net slash SNF. And I think that's all we have. Does anybody else have any links that we should know about for Sun and Fun? Anybody any ideas? I'm trying to think. Hmm. Well, if you do have some, by the way, write us, and we'll put that in the show notes. You can find those links in the show notes, but they're they're pretty easy to remember. Now entering cruise flight. Well, yeah, let's move on to the cruise flight here. One of the things that I think is really cool about aviation is it challenges our minds, it challenges our skills, and it's something that uh, I think a lot of people don't don't finally go through the whole process of getting their ratings. And, and I really appreciate people that actually do finish up their private, their instrument, their commercial. Well, another rating that I think is really a challenge is the multi-engine rating. And the multi-engine rating is, well, it's not about two engines, really. It's more about flying on one engine. And uh, this past week, one of our co-hosts, Tom Frick, completed his multi-engine commercial rating. Congratulations, Tom. Thank you, Carl. Well, round of applause. Yeah, good job, Tom. Yay. Yeah, whoopee. And and you know what? He's like whoopee, saying, "Oh my God, I, it's it's over." Thank God. <laughs> Both indeed, that's what the whoopee's about. Thank God, it's over. Both from a financial, I'm sure, and also uh, a, a stress standpoint. But this episode, I kind of want to talk about a couple of things. Number one, you know, why we'd want to think about getting our multi-engine rating, even if we're not going to use it, and uh, also talk a little bit about why we would get it for our future of flying. In other words, if we're doing it for a career, et cetera. And then we're going to go through the process of actually getting your multi and how you go about getting your multi-engine rating. But uh, Tom actually just went through this whole process, and uh, it's a really interesting story that Tom has because he has a very unique situation, and a unique situation with the actual the multi-engine airplane he got to fly. So not only are we going to learn a little bit about getting our multi, we're going to learn a little bit about, I think, a really cool-looking airplane. And I wish, you know, Eric Crump was on right now because he absolutely loves this aircraft. So, Tom, before we start getting into, you know, some of the reasons we should consider getting the multi-engine, tell, tell us a little bit about your journey through your multi-engine training and the aircraft that you used. Yeah, so... Um you know, I, I, my ratings, I started off with uh, getting all the single engine stuff out of the way. And, and literally, this started off as a hobby. So I, I got my private and then uh, decided to get my instrument afterward. And it was somewhere in the middle of that that I finally decided that, you know, I, maybe I'd like to become a flight instructor someday. And and I did. I went through, got the commercial, uh, got my CFI and my double I, and, and then realized that having the multi-engine uh, was, was another piece of it that was missing. And, um, you know... Um, the the journey towards that was was difficult in the sense of as I got my CFI and double I I I'm teaching so now I have students and I'm I'm working every day I'm flying but I'm not getting a lot of time to practice with things you know so um uh, have a I have a real close friend who uh, was willing to help me out a little bit with the um, with the flying and 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 what he has is a uh, is a Technum uh, P two thousand six Tango and um, it, it's quite an interesting aircraft um. It has uh, its twin Rotax engines, and um, you know it, it basically sips fuel for for a multi-engine. I mean, it's uh, it burns five gallons a side, ten gallons an hour total, 
and um, it's um, it's a fairly docile aircraft, and um, and it's actually pretty comfortable. Um, I'm a, I have a fairly large frame. I'm I'm six three and two hundred and twenty five pounds, and and I fit in this thing um, comfortably actually. So um, it was it's actually a joy to fly. It's actually very stylish too. Of course, it's it's like me. It's Italian. So it must be stylish, right? Indeed. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> Just kidding. Come on. The uh, but one of the things I think that's really cool about it is it also has a passenger door, doesn't it? It does. It has a it has a rear passenger door. Um, it's a single door in the front. Um, you get in on the the pilot side. Um, the uh, right seat has to crawl over, um, and then in the back, the door is on the right-hand side, and 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 come in through the back. And it has an actually a very large um, uh, baggage area in the back as well. Um, it has a pretty good useful load too. I think with uh, full full fuel, it was it was over 800 pounds of, of useful load. So you can literally wow. you can put four people in it and and still fly with full tanks. So you, you pretty much call it a family hauler, then I would assume, right? You could. Yeah, it pretty much is. Interesting. And one, one thing I'm noticing, Tom, is just looking at the pictures on the uh, the Technum website. I mean, it looks like a really neat airplane to to fly, but certainly great visibility, I imagine, out of that thing. The wing, it's a high wing. It's got the engines look like they sit kind of a little behind you. You can they see do. pretty well. You you can. Uh, actually, you see very well out of it. Um, the When you're sitting in the plane, the dash is actually, it sits down low. So you, you've got visibility out the front and definitely out the sides. Um, and there's actually, if you look at the top, there's windows in the ceiling above the pilot and co-pilot. I see so that, you have, yeah. yeah. So you have visibility out the top as well, which which you wouldn't think helps a lot, but it does. When you're in those banks and, and going into patterns and, and looking for airports, I find myself looking through those things. And every time I do, I go, wow, these are really nice to have. Yeah, most uh, multi-engine airplanes that we use for you know this kind of training and such, they got those you know the low wing and the big engines that are right right out your window. You can't see much in the way you know down on either the left or the right. But this looks like it'd be great for. I mean, it's it's basically the uh, you know the high wing Cessna visibility type, but in, in a twin engine. Indeed, uh. it, that, it's interesting you said about those those uh, windows at the top. I just realized, and I don't think I remember seeing those when I walked around it. Uh, but that actually does add quite a bit of visibility. But how about the heat? Does that, that actually add a lot of heat to the cockpit, I would think? No, no, not at all. I, I, I didn't find myself, you know, now I, I did most of my training. It is winter in Florida. So, I mean, we, we get some like, you know, 50 degree days and stuff, which were pretty comfortable. And, and I didn't find myself um, getting very warm in it. I did fly it once last summer. Um, it is, it, it does get warm in there when you're taxiing. Um, it, but uh, once you're up and going, it has actually some very decent size air vents in it. And, and it'll, it'll pump some air into that cabin, which, which helps. Interesting. You know the the actual name of it, the P two thousand six T. It's a it's a Technum, but uh, I guess it came from the Parnavia, uh, the lineage, and then also the. And I'm not sure if that's how the P comes about, but I know the year is a year is produced, and the T is a twin engine. So uh, I just found that out. I guess is that's how they name their aircraft. Is it 2006, 2007, whatever the the year is that they actually designed it and came out with it. I think is how they do that. Um, but one of the things I think is really cool is it it looks cool. Uh, you know, just sitting on the ramp, it actually looks like it's it flies fairly fast. And actually, that's a couple of things I'd like to know before we actually get into the multi engine. This is really a kind of intriguing aircraft. Is uh, you know how does it handle? Does it you know is it is it this big cumbersome like the old Seminole that it's like driving a truck or or is it a little bit lighter in the controls? 
Um, it's it's pretty light on the controls. It, it's fairly easy to handle. Um, you know, um, as we get into some of the the multi-engine maneuvers and, and that we're going to be talking about here, um, you know, they were they were easy enough to fly, um, but still challenging enough, you know, to where you, you knew that um, something was going on with it when when you were going into you know the single-engine maneuvers and all of that stuff. Um, but for the most part, it handles it handles really well. Um, it's a little different when it comes in for landing. It's got the the trailing edge landing gear, so you basically you kind of have to fly the end uh, the airplane down the runway once you land it. And it tends to be um, just a little nose heavy when you come in on landing. In other words, you you almost want to land it three point landings. Um, and if you don't, if if you come down and you put it down on the mains and you want to hold that nose off, you, you have to do it. You can't give up on it at that point because it'll it'll come down a little hard on the nose. And I noticed that when I was flying it, too. It, it just kind of the nose wants to drop. Interesting. Any other unique aspects, say uh, taxiing around? Looks like it has pretty good visibility on the taxi. It does. I, I don't think I had any issues taxiing at all. Um, you know, uh, you can feel the crosswinds, so you definitely have to do uh, the proper deflections uh, of your ailerons and elevators. But... Uh, you know, other than normal stuff for that, it taxis just fine. So I, I guess what I was trying to ask is, if that does that high wing impede you in any way when you're taxiing or flying as far as visibility? Not that I noticed, no. No, okay. Because you're, you're out there far in front of the wings enough that, that you have some really good visibility. So it's uh, not like a Cessna 172, right? A little bit different visibility, I'm sure. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so the – and – as you went through this process, you know there was there were some reasons as far as getting this airplane. It was really cool listening about the the, the handling characteristics of this plane and all. But one of the things I, I'd like to talk about, Tom, is you know why people actually choose to get their multi-engine rating. You know I I think that it's a great challenge and it's wonderful. But but before we get into that, what was the reasoning for you to actually go ahead and go forth and get your multi-engine and, and make sure you also make us realize what which rating you actually got the multi-engine private commercial etc yeah so um i i ended up with the uh commercial multi-instrument and um the reason that i went for it was you know for me plain and simple really carl was just that uh, bigger and, and nicer planes you know you see these things sitting out on the ramp and wow that's got two engines i want to fly one of those um, and, and I can't do that without this rating. So that was the impetus to get me to that end, you know, as, as my, um, aviation career has, has blossomed, um, you know, as, as I go through teaching and, and, and I'm gaining hours, you know, it just, it just seems like the logical course to go to, to get to that end. Um, when I first looked at my path through aviation, um, you know, one of the places I looked at early on was, um, uh, one of the fast track schools and, and, and it's one of the larger national schools and, and they wanted to start me out net with uh, the multi-engine rating first and then move on from there to uh, the instructor ratings and, and single engine stuff after that. And it's, it's just the way that they run their program and, and that's fine. Um, my path kept me at a different school and it just made more sense for me um, where I was at with hours, what I was doing at the time because when I first started flying, the um uh the idea of having a career in aviation wasn't even wasn't even in the forefront it wasn't even a consideration at that point it was literally just a hobby and it kind of blossomed into that it 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 turned into that as as life went on and um you know now i find myself living my dream of 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 flying and and actually getting paid for it and i just i never even believed that that would ever happen so it it was a logical course for me to go do all the single engine stuff first and then jump into the multi engine stuff and there's a lot of people listening here that are into this as a as a career, but 
there and that it's imperative for you to actually get a multi-engine rating if you're going to move on to say the airlines or charter etc because almost everything is is multi-engine i know there's a lot of single engine operators out there but it's uh, it's really important but tom i'm wondering uh you know you have this twin online and i'm curious uh as to your experience and i'd love to hear russ's and, and also interject on mine is as to the type of person that's coming in to fly so are you seeing as far as people flying this more people that are career oriented or are there some people that are actually doing this as a hobby and for their own edification you know their own purpose of of, of in life you know trying to add another rating and that's it um no for myself i, I think most that are going to this are it seems like the younger guys that i deal with they're they're all career oriented they want to they want to get their multi-engine stuff they want to go get this done and and then they understand that that's an aspect of it that they have to get to um i i do have some that are that i've seen that come in and and it is just part of you know they wanted to get a uh, get a larger plane and they were looking for the safety aspect you know of of being able to uh you know, have another engine on board, um, you know, because even in the single engine world, we, we spend all of our time um, learning how to recover from that emergency if that engine fails on you. And, and what are you going to do in that situation and how are you going to get yourself safely back on the ground again? And it's the same in the twin. It, it has a little bit of a, um, a safety aspect to it as far as having that other engine. And again, it's it's all about if you fail an engine, how are you going to get this thing back on the ground again? Um, you know, in the part of the world that we, I live in here um, on the west coast of Florida, we're completely surrounded by water. And a lot of the um, um, missions or, or places that people want to fly are going to take them over water. And it gives them that, um, you know, with a multi-engine rating, it gives you that extra engine on board to to have that level of safety uh, that you want to cross over. When you go off the coast of Florida to get over to the Bahamas, you're going to be over water for about 70 nautical miles. And, and there's going to be a period of time, 15, 20 minutes where you're not going to see land at all and you're completely surrounded by water. And that's kind of daunting in a single engine aircraft. Interesting. Yeah, they, it is. And I, that's one of the things that my wife and I discuss is we're over the water quite a bit and I ha- actually haven't flown to the islands, uh, well, the islands of the Bahamas uh, in a single engine aircraft. I've flown to islands in a single engine and it, it does make me a little nervous and that's true with some other people. And one of the things that uh, is interesting on the other side of the coin where I was teaching multi-engine, I don't think I remember anybody that I taught that was going to go into flying a twin engine as a career. There are mainly people that were getting ready to purchase their own twins, and these were people that were thinking about their family, their business, and and flying other people around that are part of their family and part of their business, and they were, were reticent about getting into a single engine. Also, the fact that they were going to, back and forth to the Bahamas because of my location was one of the main reasons. And even Key West, which isn't which due south of us is Key West, but going and due south, you're going to be over the water for quite some time and an outside gliding distance and was another reason for for getting a twin sure and and that's if you accept the clearance i mean going south for us it's over sarasota and then viola intersection and fort myers approach will usually ask you do you want direct key west and you'll either do that or go over rsw and then over which we never get out of sight of land that way right right there's uh and, and what's interesting is that we we find that the people that do this as a as a hobby, they want another challenge. So they say, hey, listen, I want to get my multi-engine rating. But then some of them just stop. They say, okay, that was cool. Let me move on. I know in my world, I, I went and got my instrument rating. 
and then I got my private pilot uh, multi with a uh, instrument, and I really just used it for oh, my own personal flying. And and one of the things I want to say is that there are a lot of people, and I think it's it's really a lot of fun rating to get. I think people should do it as a challenge. Uh, I just I think it, it's the coolest thing uh, flying on one engine. We're we're gonna get started on this uh, as far as how to go about doing that. But first, I think Russ, you had a comment. Well, yeah, for me, getting that multi-engine rating was really just, um, you know, I was a hobby pilot at the time. You know, I, had, I had my commercial single, but, uh, you know, I wasn't flying for hire or anything. And I think a lot of people kind of fall in that category. You know, they, they work through their private instrument and figure, well, what's next? So they get their commercial, and that was what I did. I have no real intents to fly for, for work or anything. But then the, the multi, you know, it was, it was fun. I had the opportunity. And, um, you know, the, the thing that I think many people might not realize is that, if you're adding on this multi-engine rating to your existing level of pilot certificate, for example, if you have a commercial and you're adding a multi, or you have a private and you're adding a private multi, there's no minimum hours required for that. Um, so it's not like you have to have you know 50 hours in the, the multi or anything. You just train to proficiency and take a check ride. So it doesn't have to take a real long time. And it's a whole lot of fun, definitely. <laughs> it is a whole lot of fun. Yeah. And, and Russ, by the way, which multi-engine ratings do you have? I forgot to ask you that. Well, I got the commercial multi, and that was in a, a seminal, like probably you know seventy per eighty percent of other people, I guess. You know, it's pretty common plane. Um, but then I, I do have a multi-engine instructor uh, certificate too. Now I didn't do that in some fancy like a, a Technam Air Tom, but uh, <laughs> you know, mine, mine I did in a, in a three ten, which is which is a great airplane. It's uh, you know it's it's quick, it's it's stable. No one would really call it you know quick handling i don't think <laughs> it's it's pretty heavy but uh, it also uh, burned probably three times the amount of gas that the technam did but uh yes and that you know both of those check rides for the commercial multi and for the mei that not only was a training a lot of fun the check rides were fun because it was i don't know it's just a completely different thing it was very low very low stress uh, it was just just a ball really so if somebody russ you definitely recommend it to people who are looking for their next challenge you know? Well, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's additional rating. It's a challenge. I mean, I I recommend any kind of training. You know, go get your you know seaplane rating or, or or you know fly gliders or or anything like that. And this is just another example of that. But certainly, what the multi-engine rating does is it does open up some possibilities if you have any thoughts of you know for a career or if if that is your intent. It's as you already stated a requirement. So, uh, but. Yeah, it's it's fun and it opens up possibilities. I think is a great thing to do. And and Tom, I, I'm sure you had a ton of fun doing it. Oh, absolutely. And and you know, I mean, the ultimate goal is is to follow up with that with what you did is is to go after my MEI after this. Um, you know, and I couldn't get that without this rating. So that was that was another piece of this for me. Was and it was part of the goals that I had set up once I started down this path of of knowing what I wanted to do. Um, you know, trying to work towards a career in aviation. So, Tom, that is the next goal then, is, is getting that multi-instructor. That's cool. Yes. So, so that's, that's what I'll do next. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll start working on the MEI. And, awesome. um, you know, um, I, have, I have actually have that lined up already. And, and Russ had mentioned it earlier, the school that I work for, we've got a, um, a Diamond DA42NG. Um, nice airplane. Um, and it, it also um, it, it, it flies real well. Um, when I was doing the um, multi-engine maneuvers in that, because I did fly it several times uh, while I was training for this, and uh, I could definitely feel the difference in, in the controls in that airplane as opposed to the Technum. 
Interesting. They, you know, they all fly differently, obviously. But one of the things that I think is interesting about what you're you're using is, as far as the twins concerned, and I'm assuming is a savings money wise is what Russ just said. You probably burn a lot less gas. Before we go into actually how to get your rating, you know, what what kind of fuel burns were you getting? Do you remember? On what on the Technum? Technum, yeah, yeah. It 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 burns a max five gallons per engine, so ten gallons an hour total. Wow, max. <laughs> That's really good. Wow. And and it, it it also it will burn MoGas instead of Avgas. It'll burn Avgas, but it it's it's actually made to burn MoGas. So just normal gasoline is is what you can put in that thing. So it's that much cheaper yet. Holy cow, that's a great, that's awesome. I mean, that, I'm assuming that some people are listening right now saying, hmm, maybe I'll think about doing my rating in that. Uh, but yeah, I guess you have to also look at what the actual cost is of the airplane per hour, because I know a lot of people are sitting there saying, oh my gosh, it's so expensive to go rent a twin. Uh, and in the two that you had looked at, in the Diamond and also in the Technum, did you see much of a difference cost-wise as far as directly renting it? Oh, yeah. The, the Technum was definitely cheaper. Okay. Well, that's no. good to know. Yeah, that's so. I, I guess we're gonna plug Technum. That'll be another another link we'll have to the Technum uh, website as far as the, the twin engines concerned. But Tom, you know, th- th- it's really cool talking about this. But one of the things I know a lot of people are waiting for is how the heck do I get to that point of becoming a multi-engine rated pilot? And before we begin this discussion, there is one quote that I really like from the FAA, uh, and I know it's the FAA that made this. And a lot of people say, "Oh no, how could they come up with a good quote?" But they did in this case. And uh, quoting from, uh, I think it was the aviation. I don't know which which handbook it was, but uh, it talks about the twin engine. And they say that quote: "The performance and systems redundancy of a multi-engine airplane is a safety advantage only to a trained and proficient pilot." And gosh, I I can't agree more with that statement. But how do you get to that point of being trained and proficient? So first thing we're going to talk about is the training section of it. And then I want to talk a little bit about proficiency. So, Tom, the, the question is here. How I'm a pilot. I'm a private pilot. I'm a commercial pilot. How do I actually obtain the multi-engine rating? What is it that I need to do? Well, I started with uh, finding a flight instructor. You know, I found a multi-engine instructor and, um, you know, started having that conversation. What do I need to do to fly? Um, I'm, I'm blessed that um, the school I had, um, we're on our second simulator now, but I actually started in that. I, I started um, doing a lot of reading. I mean, I had my nose in the, uh, the airplane flying handbook, um, which has some awesome information um, I did look at the multi-engine, um, you know, uh, there's an oral exam guide that I was studying on and um, I was taking that information and, and I sat with this MEI and just in a, in a simulator and going through flows and starting to learn how to deal with all of the systems and, and some of the challenges of, of what you're going to be learning as you're working on your multi-engine um, rating. The, those, those times that I did in the simulator were completely invaluable because I, I, I ended up using all of that stuff it it started getting me to where i could wrap my head around this new piece of equipment that i was going to be flying and when i actually got in the plane i was i don't know if i was 100 percent prepared for what i was going to do but i I definitely had a a a leg up on it at that point when i got in it it wasn't all foreign to me and it wasn't like just learning to fly all over again and and it gave me this um this understanding of, of what I was uh, going to expect once I started having to do the different maneuvers to go along with that. And then it came down to just flying, you know, taking uh, the time to uh, um, get in an airplane with the instructor, 
um, and, and it's basic stuff to start with, taking off and landing, just learning how to take off and land in a multi-engine airplane and then moving on to uh, uh, other pieces of, uh, of the training. So, Tom, one of the things that I think people might be confused about is this multi-engine rating that you have. Uh, it's, it gives you the ability to fly any type of multi-engine, multi-engine aircraft. Is that correct? Well, it has limitations, okay. um, you know, um, I can't fly, uh, what is it up to, uh, 12,500 pounds. Right. And, and, um, no turbine engines or turboprops. Those all need type ratings. And, and most of this information that you got on, and you were talking about, I think the, uh, airplane flying handbook. One of the things that I think is really cool is, you know, that chapter they have on the multi-engine planes. Let me try to find it. It's chapter 12, chapter 12 on transition into multi-engine airplanes. I'm sure you've, you really got yourself into, into reading that one. And I think it's cool. I think the pictures are awesome. They've done a, a really good job there. But one of the things that, um, you know, we talk about flying like twins and, you know, a lot of pe- people don't really define, I always define light twins, you know, 12,500 or less, but they actually kind of go further. And most people are talking about, you know, planes that are 6,000 pounds or less. But that's that's kind of like, it, it's not defined that way, but that's actually what people start talking about. Uh, but one of the things that I, I really enjoyed with reading the airplane, well, I guess the airplane flying handbook can actually put you to sleep sometimes. But but one of the things I really enjoyed is, is learning all these different terms that we have. We have all these different meanings of, of V speeds, etc. So one of the, the things we do as a multi-engine pilot is always learn how to fly on just one engine. And uh, there's a couple of little terms. I don't know if, if you want to actually go through this, but uh, one of the things that a lot of people hear as far as in a twin is the fact that you know, a twin engine airplane is, you know, will take you to the scene and losing one twin engine, one engine on a twin engine aircraft will take you to the scene of the accident, which doesn't always have to be true. But there's a lot of things that are important uh, in that statement, meaning that a lot of times that we have an issue with flying the plane on just one engine for, for a couple of reasons because of, uh, of control and also obviously performance as far as climbing and, and uh, in one engine. A lot of us out here listening right now are saying to ourselves, well, a twin engine, that means I'll still be able to climb out. But that's not always true, is it, Tom? I mean, we lose a lot of performance, don't we? We do, and, and, and you may not necessarily get a climb. And there's usually a, um, a single-engine service ceiling with uh, each multi-engine aircraft that'll keep you for you'll, – you'll only climb to that, that altitude, that pressure altitude, and then that's it. You're, you're not going to climb anymore. And most times um, in a lot of um, multi-engine aircraft – you're going to lose altitude almost uh, constantly. There, I don't think there's anything that says that it has to climb. No, it just has to actually be able to demonstrate the rate of climb, uh, or and that rate of climb could be a negative. It can be a descent, rate of descent. So at specific, and this is something that I think is really important and gets people into trouble. When we're talking about most light multi-engine aircraft, they can lose an engine on takeoff, and you will not be able to climb out. You will be actually uh, descending and not actually climbing, and it depends on the weight of the aircraft and, and the atmospheric conditions, as you said. And that's something that I think is, is super important, because when you go out to fly your twin, you need to know those numbers and, and understand what those numbers are. And let's let's talk a little bit about uh, you know the the airplane and and as far as things that you would 
think about, like when you're taking off, that you would never think about in a single-engine aircraft. There's certain things that you have to decide on when you're actually taking off in a twin, isn't there, Tom? Sure. And whether you're going to continue the flight down the runway, if you lose an engine immediately, you got to shut that engine back. You shut the rest of the plane down and stop it back on the runway and, and have a decision. And then you get to a certain point where you're, you're beyond that. And then now you're going to, you're going to go through with your takeoff and then you'll have to make a decision. Then if you lose an engine again, you may not have um, climbing capability. So where are you going to put it? And then what's going to happen once you get to a certain altitude and then to another altitude and beyond when, when is the point that you can turn back? When is the point where you can come back with a single engine and land? So these decisions in a twin engine, in a multi-engine aircraft, one of the, the interesting challenges is that you actually have more, more decisions to make. It's not just adding one extra engine. You have a lot more decisions to make based on what we've been talking about as far as climb performance, et cetera, and controlling the aircraft. Something that, that's really interesting is that we will not be able to control that aircraft on single engine. Uh, because of many different factors. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that. One of these in very important speeds that we talk about flying twins, uh, we have all these new V-speeds, and one of them is that minimum controllable airspeed that we have. Now, and, and some people talk about that, but Tom, what, what does that mean to us as, as somebody who's moving into flying a twin-engine aircraft? What, what do they mean by this you know, minimum controllable speed? Sure, so VMC is, is the... Um the slowest speed that you can still control the aircraft. Um, there's a, usually it has a little red radial line on the airspeed indicator, which will tell you what VMC is. And then um, that's, you, you don't want to get below that because then you have, you're beyond where you can deflect any of your control surfaces and still control the aircraft. So one of the things that's really important is to know that speed on your aircraft is what that minimum controllable speed is. Because if, if you do get too slow, and you get beyond that speed, or too low, I should say, and too slow, you're not going to be able to climb. But not only that, you're not going to be able to control the aircraft. And you need to do something. You need to pull back on the other power. And that's hard to do, isn't it? You know, realizing that, gosh, you know, I'm, I need to pull back power instead of, but I want to put in power. But you're going right, you, right. you, to lose control and, and, and head over on that aircraft. And it, it's a tough thing to do. I know I, I've I've seen uh, you know we've seen the accident statistics, et cetera, as far as as losing control there on a twin engine when they get too slow after losing an engine. Um, one of the things that I think that is part of the reasons that people are afraid to go into the multi is because of this, is because they hear from all their friends and you see it on the internet. Oh, I don't want a twin because I'm going to lose control of it. But a lot of it has to do with training. So one of the things that I'd like you to talk towards is for those people that are nervous about getting the multi-engine, you know, talk a little bit about that loss of control and, and what type of training you went through that makes you feel more comfortable actually flying a twin engine aircraft now than you did when you started your training. Sure. So, you know, um, my instructor took me through and, and, uh, you know, we, we went through the, the, the one things that really actually helped me get through that was doing a drag demonstration, going through and, and putting it down single engine and how's this thing react with just the gear down and then the gear back up. How does it react with the gear down and all, then the flaps all the way down and on a single engine and, you know, what kind of altitude am I losing? How am I, 
how would how do I have to pitch the aircraft to keep it at a uh, you know at a um, at a single engine best rate of climb? And um, you know once you fly around and you do this obviously up at altitude, just like when we're training for single engine stuff, you do everything up at altitude so that you can understand and feel how the aircraft is uh, responding, so that when you are close to the ground and and you have this issue that um, you're you're more uh, capable of handling that situation, and and it it was over time of doing that over and over again that I could feel the aircraft and I started playing, you know, started using the different controls at different times where you can still, you can still control the aircraft. And then ultimately you, you practice it coming into land and you, and you do everything that you did up at altitude. Now you're going to practice it down close to the ground and in the pattern and, and coming in and doing a, you know, single engine approach under the hood, you know, um, it, it's stressful, but it's, it's, you can do it and, and you have the resources to do it. So you're still in control of the airplane and can still put it down on the ground. And these speeds that, you know, we talk about controlling the airplane and, and all these things that you've learned, that doesn't – and how, how long did it take you? In other words, being comfortable doing those demos that you talked about and, and understanding the speeds and what's going to happen at those speeds, how, how long did it actually take you to be comfortable in the aircraft you were flying? Well, let's see. Uh, like I said before, I was flying two of them at, at, on the onset, so I was in the Diamond and in the Tectum. I finished out in the Tectum, but I think, um, you know, when when I got done the other day with that rating, I'm, I've got almost 17 hours now of multi-engine time, you know, and that's what it took me to get to that. So I, I took my time through it. I wanted to make sure that I was I was uh, learning the maneuvers properly and that I was learning the aircraft properly and and getting comfortable with it. And um, you know, um, I, I got my rating. Um, 150 nautical miles south of where the the airplane is based. So I literally I got the rating and then I, I flew it back up to where it belongs. Um, very first flight with my new rating, and and felt completely comfortable doing that. So one of the things that I uh, going back to the the speeds and all. One of the things that people talk about when they're landing now, say we is coming in for landing. You think, gosh, I can slow to whatever speed I want. Uh, well, that's not totally true, is it? We can't get too slow on landing, too, because uh, you can, and and it's not really healthy. We use a, a speed called a V-REF. And tell us a little bit as to why we would actually want to fly, especially a twin, a little bit faster using this rest speed than we than we would on a single-engine aircraft. Well, um, the go around is is gonna it's gonna be harder to spool those engines and get that thing back off the ground again. So, you know, having that carrying that little extra speed um, down at the bottom of the um, on final will will help get you out of there in in case of an emergency. So that's really important right there too. A lot of folks get and I hope people are taking this away. People get nervous about uh, getting too slow in a twin, and and again they think they're gonna flip the thing over because they're not gonna be able to control it. You have to make decisions through your process, not just of taking off, climbing, in route, but during your landing. So, for instance, you start your landing and you get slow, and you're now at a speed below VMC, and you're now saying to yourself, "Gosh, you know, I don't, I'm not going to be able to control this plane on two engines. So, if I do do go go around right now, and I am that slow." And I lose an engine, so there's a whole bunch of things I got to think about. I'm I'm slow, uh, I'm low, and I'm below my minimum controllable airspeed, and, and I lose an engine. I need to pull the power to idle. That's something that that really takes a lot of discipline to do. So we and that can happen. It's a very dynamic environment. These are all things we never really thought about, did we? 
as a single engine pilot. I mean, the engine quits. You, it's real simple to figure out what you need to do, isn't it, Tom? Well, for the most part, I mean, it's it's either fuel or it's spark or some combination thereof, and and you only have the one engine to deal with. You know, um, the other piece with the twin engine uh, aircraft is how it's fed fuel. You know, and and that was another thing that I had to learn about crossfeed and how to get fuel from one side of one wing over to the other engine and back the other way again if needed in an emergency. So explain a little bit about that as far as uh, the crossfeed because uh, I guess a lot of people haven't had that in their their airplanes and worried about that. Why is why is that such a big deal? Well, just so that it it's um, a way to set the valves, the, the fuel valves so that you can get fuel to normal, normal way that it drains fuel is, uh, the, the right, uh, engine will feed off the right tank and left engine off the left tank. But it is possible in some aircraft to move that, um, that fuel around if, uh, one side, um, is contaminated or depleted or whatever to get to over to the other engine so that you can, uh, continue using both engines. Oh, or if you have a single engine failure, now it's going to increase how far you can get if you if you deplete all the fuel out of your left engine and um, you've, you've, that's the only engine that's running. I can now take the uh, fuel from the right tank, move it over to the left engine to keep it running, so I don't lose both engines. Wow, there's a, there's a lot to think about, isn't there? You're sitting here, you have one engine, you're worried about that, trying to get back, and now you actually have to balance out the tanks. You know, you're going from burning, say you lose your left engine, now you're still burning out of the right tank. Oh my gosh, now you're going to be out of balance, you want to put some more fuel to the right. Uh, so a lot more things you have to think about when the engine quits there. Another thing, too, that's interesting about twin is not only do you have the extra engine, you have the moving of fuel, but you have some other systems a lot of times in, in twins, don't we? We have more than one, say, vacuum system, or or we may not have more than one vacuum system or, or just one generator. Uh, so those are kind of decisions you have to worry about. Like if you shut down one of the engines and say that engine is the only engine with your generator, then you're kind of stuck. Well, you know, most airplanes have them both, but uh, you do have to think about those situations. Uh, what Was there anything that was unique about the Technum or maybe in your twin training about the different systems that are affected based on the, the different engines that actually failed? Yeah, in, in the Technum, there really wasn't. Um, it, it wasn't... Uh wasn't um it didn't matter if you failed either engine for the rest of the systems now there is a there was a critical engine but it, there wasn't um it, it didn't necessarily have like um uh, i think we have an aztec that has a hydraulic pump only on the left engine if you fail the left engine you've got no hydraulics interesting so it's important to know your systems there now the the one thing you said going back to that as far as the the, the multi-engine and losing your systems losing your engines there's another thing that you talked about in there as far as a you know you have your minimum controllable speed uh but also what are some of the other things you got to think about if you're you know losing another engine There's, I'm not sure. Actually, I guess I'm trying to hint at this, but I'll come out. Yeah. You talked about you know critical engine. I think is a word you used, oh, okay, and yeah. I I think that the term critical engine to me means it's the engine that quit is a critical one because that's what I want yeah. back. So so what uh, the <laughs> what how'd they come up with this term critical engine? What in the world is yeah, that? So mean? so uh, <laughs> for for uh, either whether the props spin the same way or whether they're counter rotating. And if they spin the same way, you have a you have a critical engine, and and usually the left engine, and it, it's the the yaw um, forces that are created by the inoperative engine. 
Interesting. So you have that. So normally in a lot of aircraft that don't have those counter-rotating propellers, you, you know, critical engine is going to be the left engine because you have the, the regular rotating propellers that are going right, and you're going to have a lot more yaw produced. Uh, you're also going to have, uh, you know, a little bit different uh, as far as moving your engine, your wing up, et cetera. It's going to be a little bit different aerodynamically. It, it's somewhat perceptible if, if you do a lot of these uh, maneuvers. But uh, you know, one of the things that I think that a lot of people don't realize is in their twin, whatever twin you're flying, you have to figure out you know, what is that critical engine and what's going to be unique when I do lose that one engine. And you need to do that with an instructor and uh, get out there as much as you can as far as being proficient. So, so, Tom, what else is there about actually getting your rating that's unique in, in getting this multi before we talk about a little bit about proficiency? Um, no, I don't know if I got anything else. Okay. Yeah, the, and, and I think we've covered most of it as far as, as flying single engine, et cetera. Uh, but one of the other things that I want to talk about before we, we close up here, we're running a little bit on time, but is – First of all, a lot of people don't realize that most of your flying is done VFR. They ask, you know, hey, can I fly a, a, a twin VFR? Yeah, sure. Uh, and they assume that all twin-engine aircraft are, you know, IFR-equipped. I've actually flown some that, that are VFR only. Uh, and, you know, usually you have a twin because you're going to be flying a lot IFR. But there's there's times and no, you know, you're not going to have that. The other thing that I think is interesting in a multi-engine is uh, you're introduced to different systems that, or say for heating, for instance, you may be introduced to like a janitrol type of heater, a uh, combustion heater, and now you got another heater that's using you know fuel in your aircraft uh, that you have to worry about. There's another system. You, a lot of times in a twin, you have pressurization, so you have to learn about those systems, etc. But now fuel tanks, and, Carl, and fuel tank. Oh my God, fuel you flew tanks, a three ten. Yeah. <laughs> well, the three ten. Yeah, that's a great example. The thing can have up to six fuel tanks, and you got to know where the fuel is. Uh, fortunately, we didn't use two of them on my flying, but uh, but yeah, you get into some of these, you know, some little bit larger airplanes, and you have these additional systems, like you mentioned, and you know, fuel's a big one. You got a single engine airplane, you probably got two tanks, maybe four. Some airplanes have four, but you know, relatively simple. It's either coming from the left side or the right side, or both, depending on what type of airplane. But uh, but when you get you know some of the the twins, you have these these more complicated fuel systems, more complicated. Uh, you know, vacuum systems, you got the heater, like you mentioned, well, that, you know, the heater is going to burn fuel. Well, which tank is it going to burn fuel out of? You know, so that, if you got that running, that engine doesn't have as, you know, as much fuel to use. Uh, all these factors, yeah, that, that are, that to me, and I think to most people are, are pretty interesting stuff. So that's one of the things that makes this, uh, this training to me really fascinating. And, and just learning, learning new things, and you know, keeping that education going. So, Russ, I know you're involved in multi-engine training, and uh, you know, Tom's just now getting his his multi-commercial and is going to start being a, a flight instructor. And you know, I've done some recurrent training, et cetera. But one of the things that I, I know all of us agree is that you know, recurrent training is very important. But I think, in my opinion, it's it's even more important in a multi-engine to go out there and practice, practice, practice. Uh, what advice do you have to people that are going to go out and operate their own twin-engine aircraft as far as trying to keep proficient in doing single-engine operations? Well, remember from, I think it was probably three episodes ago, uh, it's very clear that I'm big on uh, recurrent training and, and trying to be 
you know, actually proficient, not just legally current. And, you know, we'd talked about scheduling you know, more than just a, a biennial flight review, you know, you know, every six months or something, but it's even more important with a, with a twin. And you mentioned the quote, uh, from one of the FAA books that the, you know, the benefits are only met if you're trained and proficient. And that's absolutely true. Uh, you do have more failure modes. You do have, like we just talked about more systems, more, all these factors. And, you know, if we don't fly very much, we forget these things, uh, our skills degrade and a twin engine airplane flies beautifully well. Uh, you know, when both engines are operating, it flies pretty much just like a single, they aren't a real particular trick to handle. You know, it's not, it's not a wrestling match usually with the airplane. The issue is, well, what happens if one of those engines fails? And you're not going to be expecting it, of course, and and it's going to happen probably at the worst time. So, that, so that's what you need the training for. You have to be able to react quickly, like uh, Tom will certainly attest to. You know, the the instructor pulls that engine back, and you got to get right on it, don't you? Absolutely. Indeed. So, yeah. Uh, so that's what the the uh, proficiency and and uh, recurring training goes into. In fact, uh, the insurance companies recognize this and a lot of them will require some type of increased, uh, training, you know, whether it's at, on an annual basis or I know a guy who had to have a instrument proficiency check annually, uh, in his, in his twin for, uh, you know, just for insurance purposes. Uh, so there's not anything that's a whole lot different as far as the regulations go, but you know, as as with most things in aviation, insurance does tend to uh, control a lot of factors of our flying. Well, Russ, I'm glad you brought that up because you know the insurance, you know, they know the insurance companies know that there's this added risk if we're not proficient in a multi-engine aircraft, and and they're requiring you to go through this proficiency training for a reason because uh, they know the statistics. Uh, you know, well-trained pilot is is going to be much safer, obviously. But one of the other things that you see sometimes that they'll require the insurance companies, and we're going to actually ask uh, Victoria about this in the next episode. I wish she could have been on tonight to talk about this. But gosh, there's, you know, there's some places that require you to go through a factory type of training. In other words, going to a simulator somewhere uh, in in an approved course, doing simulator training, then getting up with an instructor to actually complete that that training, that proficiency training. Obviously, you know, with the airlines, you know, we go through proficiency training quite often. One of the reasons it is so safe is because we're constantly training. And a lot of people don't realize, I mean, we're we're taking classes just at, I take at least one quiz or test every month, 12 months out of the year. There's something I'm taking. There's at least 12 exams. And also I'm doing a ton of training in this in the simulator for a few days at a time just to become proficient, and that's why they are so safe. So one of the things that I love is when I see somebody with a twin or somebody that owns a twin that actually says to me, hey, listen, I want to go up and I want to be good. I want to, to be good enough to get out of a jam if I have a problem. And uh, I'll never forget this one gentleman who I worked with, and he actually took off one day, and I think at about 400 feet he lost an engine. And he said, yep, he did. I just did everything I was supposed to do. I came back around, I landed. It was like there was nothing ever happened. He said, I just you know, did what my training taught me. And he said, I tell you what, doing all that proficiency training really helped a lot. And I thought, think that speaks volumes. And I'm sure we all have people that have flown twins that have said the same thing. You know, a twin engine aircraft is, is, is as good as a pilot flying. And I think that's really important, a proficient pilot flying a twin. One of the things, though, um, I talked about a little bit 
is flying a twin over water. And I've always said that, you know, it's a lot safer flying the twin over water. And it's great to have a, a swamp. There's lots of swamps where I am or, or different areas, you know, rough terrain, etc. But uh, someone reminded me, and this was a while ago, I did, an, I did an episode a few years back on Aviation Careers Podcast with uh, Steve Vegas, and he actually is a Coast Guard helicopter pilot. And he told me, he said, listen, you have to remember that there's situations, not every plane is 100% safe. There are situations where you won't be able to climb, even though your aircraft is certified to be able to climb on one engine. And he gave me an example of an aircraft that actually had a propeller that ran away and overspeed the propeller, which caused a lot of drag, and there was no way this person was going to be able to climb. And actually, actually went down in the water, and uh, he said he had to rescue those people out of that aircraft. So don't think just because you have a twin that that sit there fat, dumb, and happy, you know, flying over the water. There are many more things that you do need to consider, and just like in any flying, you really should do that. So something to think about. You know, I, I I'm still a big fan of flying twins over over water, and I do it all the time and and enjoy it. But uh, but even still, no matter how many engines you have, you always want another one. You know, when I'm sitting three, four hundred miles out in the Atlantic Ocean with just two engines, I start thinking to myself, gosh, it would be nice to have one extra one out here. Well, you know, what if that one engine runs rough and that's when your your eye, your ears start hearing it run rough, you know? And uh, But it's kind of interesting. I think this whole conversation about getting your multi-engine, it, it's so much fun. It's so cool to be, a, be able to fly a twin, and it's so neat to have that performance. And it's something that I think that, that we all enjoy is that challenge of actually being able to fly a twin and, and fly it well, even though there are certain risks involved, we can mitigate those risks by getting the proper training. And I think that's what we're trying to say here, uh, especially, you know, you know, Russ and, and Tom now moving forward in his training is I, I know that the two of you and, and myself, we all are very much conscientious and constantly trying to get proficiency training and be the best pilot we can. And, you know, I think everybody that's listening now tries to do that also. But I really think that it's it's a neat challenge. It's a lot of fun to get the multi-engine rating. And I, uh, you know, Tom, I know you are going to move forward with your CFI and your multi-engine instructor license. Uh, you already have your CFI, excuse me, but your multi-engine instructor license. One of the things that that I'd like to ask you, Tom, is you know what you know are what are you looking forward to in doing this this multi-engine training? Uh, what what will it bring to you as an instructor? to be able to actually go out there and, and be a, a multi-engine instructor, what type of rewards will you get? Well, uh, I think uh, usually by the time I get to multi-engine, most of the pilots that I'm flying with um, already have some level of proficiency. Most of the people that are, um, you know, at least in the school that I'm at, uh, that are looking for their multi-engine ratings already have, you know, they're already pilots. So that's always, uh, I always find that uh, refreshing to fly with somebody who already knows how to fly. Um, even though I enjoy my students and I enjoy teaching initial privates, um, you know, um, it, it's still nice to fly with people who know how to fly. Interesting. And I know, Russ, you've done a lot of multi-training. And, you know, I was wondering now that, you know, a seasoned multi-engine instructor, you know, what what's some of the things that, that you really look forward to when you, you are going out and teaching somebody in a twin-engine aircraft? Well, I, for me, and it's it's kind of what what Tom said, really, pretty much. It's you know, it's something new, something different, and um, and like I said, they they do already know the basics of handling the airplane. So uh, so some things are uh, maybe a bit uh, easier. You get to pay attention to to different factors, and you know, having someone's 
you know, eyes light up when they see that, that VMC roll and they run out of rudder is, is kind of neat actually. <laughs> and that's exciting. They, uh, one, one thing I'd like to leave us with, I know we were running out of time, but, uh, Tom, one of the things that I, I'd like you to think about is, you know, what, what advice would you give somebody that's looking at the possibility of getting into their multi-engine training? And, and also, you know, would you say this is something that, that you would recommend of any pilot that's looking for a challenge? Uh, and, you know, what would you recommend them to do? What would you say to somebody who's thinking about it? Sure. So, um, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't discourage anybody from going to get another rating and, and uh, improving their proficiency and improving, you know, on the ratings that they already have. But, um, you know, for the multi-engine, um, I think, you know, the only thing I got is what I did and, and, and I plan for it. Um, it, it is, um, a little bit more expensive to get that rating, even, uh, you know, with the hours that I put into it, it's, it's more expensive to rent and operate the multi-engine aircraft. Um, generally the, um, instruction rates might be a little higher as well. So, um, you know, if you plan for it and, and know that it's going to, uh, that you're going to incur this expense, there's a lot of things that you can do, uh, beforehand. And, and that's what I did is I studied, I took the, uh, um, well, I'll call it the cheaper way out by, by employing a, uh, simulator. If you have access to one, that was, uh, that was a blessing indeed was to, uh, get, get, uh, somewhat proficient in that before I even jumped into an airplane. So that was part of that planning phase as well. So I found a good uh, multi-engine instructor. I used a, a, a simulator and um, I, I pre-planned for um, getting the rating. So had, had the money set aside so that once I got that head of steam going, I didn't have to stop um, due to lack of resources. Yeah, that sim idea is a, is a great thing. I mean, look at the airlines. We don't even, uh, the first time we land the airplane is with passengers on board in our first revenue flight. And that's how good these simulators are in all levels, in, in uh, the twins and the light twins, et cetera. Uh, some of the simulators, like I saw at your school the other day, that, man, that was amazing. And you can learn so much and, and do things you would never want to do in the aircraft. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, and Tom, you, you, you really made a good point there that, Yes, these things are expensive, but you can do a lot in that simulator. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a multi-engine rating, but when I went for my ATP, I I spent probably three days in the simulator, and I didn't get in the real airplane until literally the afternoon before I had the check ride. You know, I had the check ride the next day, and the previous afternoon I finally got in the airplane, flew the airplane two times, I think, and went and took the check ride. So I was well prepared by that simulator, and it sure saved a bucket full of money. Uh, great idea as far as saving money, but also a great idea as far as learning the procedures, uh, you know, in a, in a oh, much yeah. more focused environment. Yeah, that's a great, great, great conversation, guys. Hey, you know, Tom, I really appreciate you sharing uh, with us and the audience as far as what you did with your multi-engine training. We're we're looking forward to, to seeing you some more, doing some training. Um, you know, I know it was a challenge, and I know that... Uh, like anything else, uh, there's ups and downs of the of the rating, and and you you pull through, and boy, you you did a great job, and and hats off to you again. Congratulations on the the multi engine yeah, commercial. Thank you, Carl. We really appreciate that. You know, yeah, you're gonna go fly us all around a sun of fun now, right, Tom? <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see what we can drag over there. Okay, good. That'd be cool. Yeah, just uh, you know, go out and fly. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll rent a plane and, and go around the pattern in it and show off. Uh, you know, the stuck my gaffcast as a live broadcast from the air. Oh, there's an idea. Because I, I hear the skies over there are usually pretty calm and, and there's not much <laughs> going on over there, yeah. so it should be real easy to get in and out at three in the morning, maybe, and maybe not even <laughs> that. But <laughs> but yeah, actually, that's another thing I look forward to seeing everybody there at uh, Sun and Fun. It's going to be a lot of fun and. 
you know, Larry Overstreet will be there, uh, you know, remotely, Rick Felty, Victoria will be there remotely. And, uh, we're also going to have, uh, who else? Tom, of course, you'll be there. I'll be there. Um, Russ will be there. And, uh, gosh, I, I can't remember who else is going to be here, there or not, but I, I'm hoping to get as many people as we can there. I know, uh, you know, like I said, Paul Greco from Aviation Curves Podcast will be there. And then all these cool avi- uh, podcasters will be there and uh, we're going to try to get them on the deck. Um, you know, we don't have a pick of the week, by the way, uh, this week, but Tom, I did find some videos of the week, uh, and those were actually of you. I found them on the internet, on YouTube. Uh, just tell us a little bit. I have two of them. One's doing Lazy 8s, and the other one's transitioning to the multi-engine aircraft. Tell us a little bit about those two videos. Sure. So, uh, yeah, we were we were flying in the tech. I mean, part of uh, the training that I did, um, I, I did it with um, with uh, Jason Shepard from M0A and uh, out of Ocala, and he was so gracious to to help me along with this thing. So, uh, and and part of that was working on uh, some of his flight training videos. So, um, he posted a, a few of the videos. So, um, he allowed me to do a little bit of teaching at one point. So he um, we went through and flew a, a Lazy Eight in the in the twin. And uh, there's a video of me talking through that, and then also, uh, you know, just kind of as a as a teaser, he 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 also created a video on transitioning to multi-engine aircraft, and and had posted that one as well. So I see that you got both of those. Yeah, we'll definitely have a, we'll have links at the bottom of the show notes at uh, Stuck Mike Avcast episode 141. Man, they, it looks like a lot of fun flying that Technum, and it's pretty cool watching the video. It's really well done, and again, congratulations on that. The after landing checklist. Uh, well, gosh, that come, that's the end of the episode here. We could talk more about multi-engine aircraft. Love to hear your feedback and your experiences in flying a twin-engine aircraft. And uh, if you're thinking about it, you know, write us and, and let us know some of the challenges that you've had trying to find some multi-engine training and uh, some of the suggestions you might have to those people that are looking towards getting into flying a twin engine. It's great. It's a lot of fun. It's a challenge. And, and as you can hear from all of us here, uh, it really is neat. It's, it's something that is something that you can challenge yourself with. And I think that's really important. And when we're flying, we try to move forward uh, in anything we do. This is why we fly. It's for fun. It's, it's the challenge. And uh, it's just neat to be out there saying, oh, wow, yeah, I got a couple engines strapped to this thing. So give it a try. I really highly recommend it. We have all those different resources. Like I said, all the links to the uh, the pilot handbook of aeronautical knowledge, airplane flying handbook, uh, the different episodes we talked about in the YouTube videos. Uh, but anyway, again, Tom, thanks so much for what what you've done and, and shared with us in this this podcast. And and we're gonna we're gonna talk to you again once you get your multi engine instructor and, and quiz you a little bit more about uh, about how how somebody might go about doing that. So thanks again, Tom. And uh, folks, if you're listening right now and you're thinking about getting into the multi-engine training, check out the show notes. We really appreciate you listening this evening. We'll talk to you next episode. And of course, safe flying. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.